Hey, welcome everybody to the Sacramental Charismatic. I am your host, Luke Gerdy. Uh, before we jump into today's subject and uh, guest, I want to just mention that the best gift I got for Christmas that I'm still enjoying is a an espresso machine as well as a milk frother. And I have my own latte. I'm saving $6 every single day because I'm not going to Starbucks. $35 when I have all five kids with me. It is the little things. Yes. Uh, hey, uh, anyway, we're back today and I'm super, super uh, thankful for today's host. Um, actually, not host, guest. I'm your host, but Glenn Pacquiam is with me. Glenn, uh, we've been trying to make this happen for nine years, uh, it feels like, <laughs> and we finally have. But welcome to the show. Uh, I, you know, I know you're a pastor, uh, you're an Anglican priest, you are a theologian, you are a musician with Desperation Band. Uh, your author, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things to your to your life. Uh, but for those maybe who don't know you, what are some of the most important things that people could know about you that would help them to kind of get a feel for your your vibe? Well, hey, Luke, thanks for having me on. A uh, pleasure to be on. And yeah, you know, when you reached out, we've we've had a bit of scheduling snafus trying to make this happen. But I'm so glad we finally did. I I'm. Man, I've been at the same local church for over 20 years, New Life Church mm -hmm. in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And uh, through all the many uh, changes, not only for the church itself, but in my own uh, life, uh, you mentioned Anglican priests. It's true, but I, I continue to serve at a non-Anglican, non-denominational, evangelical, charismatic church. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 19 and a half years. We have four kids. Uh, it's it's great, man. Life is, life is full. Life is loud. And... Uh, <laughs> and we're grateful for the many blessings in the midst of all of it. Yeah, it's, I, I'm going to, you know, when I first started reading some of your work, uh, you know, I was like, man, this guy's, I feel like really similar vibe going on here. You know, this like one foot in the evangelical charismatic world. And then you're yeah. writing all about liturgy and sacramental <laughs> theology. And, uh, you know, and so it's really good to finally have you on. And, uh, you know, I, I thought we might be able to kind of jump into um you know, the subject of sacramental charismatic, I guess, mm. theology, the, the um, you know, the bringing together of those two particular streams, uh, you know, there's other streams that are really important that I think that those streams tend to kind of connect with too quite easily. But, um, you know, right now, I think the thing that's going on in a lot of our minds is there seems to be like this crisis, <laughs> you know, many, many people in America are trying to figure out like theologians, pastors, like mm. what just happened? Um, you know, with the, the prophets and the charismatic folks yeah. and all of the political unrest, um, you know, and so I, I know your story is partly that you were a part of a, you are a part of a, a large church mm -hmm. that at one time uh, was pastored by um, Ted Haggard, who was mm -hmm. the National Association of Evangelical Senior Pastor, the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And moral failure happened, the church, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think from our, like uh, our, I guess the outside, it just seems like mm -hmm. that was a story, really big story. Mm -hmm. Bad things happened. Um, mm -hmm. I had been a, been a, uh, fan actually of Ted's. I'd read his book, mm -hmm. uh, the life, mm -hmm. I think the life giving church. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, really appreciated a lot of mm -hmm. his, uh, mm -hmm. his work. It seems like he built a system though, that actually worked from what mm -hmm. I, I guess mm -hmm. the outside, Knowing the story, so how did how did that influence your, I guess your trajectory into the sacramental yeah. charismatic world? 
Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's such a great question. And you touch on kind of the current crisis, you know, of, especially in the charismatic world with prophets and prophecies and, and uh, angels and demons and, and political stuff and all of those things combining. And, you know, that is its own tangle of, of kind of charismatic theology of the spirit and of, you know, spiritual warfare and all that sort of thing, getting mixed in with a kind of Christian nationalism or religious nationalism mm -hmm. where, we start to imagine that God has a vested interest in the material prosperity of one nation over another or one political party over another. Mm -hmm. And so anytime you try to use the charismatic gifts or whatever in service of, of these kinds of political ends or national ends, you're, you're going to be treading on dangerous ground. And, and in some ways, there's some overlap with that in the late 90s, early 2000s at New Life. We were definitely charismatic, spiritual warfare kind of church, and but we were also very much in, engaged in kind of the culture war stuff, and and because of that, those two things were kind of seen as as being you know overlapping or interwoven. Where you one minute you're you're praying and prophesying, casting out you know territorial spirits or whatever, and then the next next moment you're like campaigning for a, a policy change, and it's usually all on the right side of the aisle, as it were. And so when when the scandal happened with Ted in late 2006, you know, obviously it's shocking. You, you, you're 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 thinking, oh my goodness, how, where did this come from? Uh, for us, it led to a lot of self examination, and the temptation is to say, okay, well, it's all bad, or you know, it's all just fine, and this was just kind of a you know an aberration. And I think we had to take a lot a deeper look than that, and, and it helped us recognize, like you as you alluded to, there were some good things built into the culture here at the church, you know, uh, what it means to be a life-giving church, relationally oriented, uh, all of that. But there was definitely some some uh, toxic elements in it as well. And we could talk about it from a leadership culture angle. We could talk about it from, a, uh, again, the overly enmeshed uh, political uh, stuff, um, kind of using charismatic stuff, uh, spiritual warfare and culture warfare kind of being over, you know, interwoven in, in a dangerous way. But for me, uh, I think the thing that was most interesting to me or, or what maybe the Lord was doing in my heart was to look more closely at what does it mean to be a pastor? Uh, what does it mean for a, a church to be a church? Uh, what are we doing when we gather together in worship? Uh, they had There were a few services in 2005, 2006 where the worship services felt like there were kind of pep rallies for us for a political agenda, you know, like, okay, let's get everybody fired up about this cause or this cause. And we're always talking about current events and, and, you know, so, so in the wake of the fall, uh, we had to wrestle with that and to say, well, what is it, what are we supposed to be doing here as a church? And around that same time, I began reading, you know, uh, Eugene Peterson and, and read, reading what he would say about pastoral ministry being personal and local and really, you know, the, the stories of individuals' lives. And then I was reading Henry Nouwen and his stuff in the name of Jesus, where he talks about the temptations of Christian leadership and vanity. And, and it was speaking to me. It was like, man, it's not just about Ted or fame or whatever, but it's all of us that get so easily swept up into this appeal of, of vanity and ego and ambition. And confusing that with with the sense of call or, or mission, and then I was also reading N.T. Wright, you know, kind of about about kingdom and and kingdom theology, and real, realizing, okay, wait a minute, the way we're thinking about cultural engagement is not right. We're we're thinking about it in a very we're thinking yeah. about it in terms of cultural power. We're not thinking about it in a kingdom of God kind of lens. So these three voices, Peterson, Nowen, and Wright, kind of began to really form a, a renewed perspective in me. And and somewhere along the way, I realized. 
all these guys have a kind of sacramental perspective that I don't have as mm -hmm. a non-denominational guy. So, you know, Peterson's a Presbyterian. Now, and yeah. of course, is a Catholic, right? Is an Anglican. And they would talk about the Lord's table and they would talk about baptism in ways that I never thought about it that way. So it, it sparked this hunger in me to say, how, what am I missing? What, do, what, what's anchored the church? And I, you know, as an undergrad, I'd studied theological historical studies. So that had sort of been there, but I'd kind of dismissed it, Luke. I'd kind of said, well, okay. you know what, that was then, that's what church history needed to do that. But now we're, yeah. it's all fresh, you know, the fresh move of God, the, the current, the now, you know, and I realized it didn't, if we didn't get this right, if we didn't learn our lesson through this, we'd, we'd just substitute one leader for another leader and mm -hmm. the spotlight was still on an individual and i realized that with these sacraments with this liturgy with the lord's table it's actually a way of decentering the individual it's actually mm -hmm. a way of, of of pushing displacing the gifted so to speak uh pastor or speaker or band uh, mm -hmm. from the center of attention and so you're you're mo yeah you're moving your you know, the, your church culture in a direction away from a personality um, yeah. but, so let me ask you this though, you know, cause like you're, all, I mean, you are a gifted speaker, teacher, um, you know, you have, you have some, uh, talents, you know, abilities, <laughs> gifts, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, and it seems like, um, there, there's such a challenge with that, right. Too, because in some way, shape or form, uh, I'm assuming that there's people in your church community that really value that, you know, and if it wasn't yeah. there, it might be harder for them to stick. Um, yeah. in some in some way, shape, or form. So how do how are you addressing that? And how do you think maybe the sacramental tapestry or the spiritual formative contemplative um, streams that seem mm. to kind of like be in that world? How do you think that those are um, maybe going to help address that, or are they? I mean, do you think that's just a challenge yeah. with American evangelicalism? <laughs> Well, I, th I think you're right. I think there is a general sense in which that is a, a, a challenge with American culture. Uh, we like to elevate people on pedestals in every arena, um, mm -hmm. uh, every arena. But but I think um, I think it's interesting. You know, char the charismatic tends to become fixated on the charisms, the gifts of a few. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and so those the, the very charismatic gifted are, are the ones that take center stage. So one of the ways to to work against that is to have a team. And we definitely have much more of a team approach now. Our senior pastor, mm -hmm. Brady, uh, you know, we have multiple congregations. He doesn't we don't pipe in the videos, all of that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But for mm -hmm. us, it helps us raise up more preachers, more pastors, more teachers. We have a mm -hmm. teaching team, uh, even at the congregation that I lead. I'm going to you know, preach maybe 55% of the, of the Sundays this year. We, we okay. want to share that with, with another guy who will do about four, you know, 40% or so, and then, and then some room for some others. Um, so that's one way, but getting back to the sacramental, I think there's something so powerful about coming to the Lord's table every week. And this is what we mm -hmm. do at all of our congregations at new life church. We all celebrate weekly communion and we do mm -hmm. so as a way of telling our people, and, and sometimes we make it explicit. We say, look, we, we are coming to the Lord's table every week because this is the high point of our worship. This is the pinnacle of our worship. This is the culmination um, of our service. Mm -hmm. And I, I've said dozens and dozens of times, I might get it wrong. The worship team might get it wrong. But when we yeah. come to the Lord's table, that's a moment where we kind of move out of the way and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, we're going to confess Christ who has died, who has risen and who is coming again as the core of our faith, no matter you know what we did or didn't say well or perfectly in the music or in the sermon. Mm, gotcha. Okay. So that, that, that's kind of a fascinating um, 
thing to think about is how you have this multi-site, uh, multi-campus mm-hmm. megachurch. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and sure. and your your congregation is very openly liturgical. I mean, it's you know, go to the website, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is this is liturgical. <laughs> uh, and then, but the other ones are maybe less that, not any less substance, but it's sure. less. The language is not there as sure. much, I guess. Sure. Um, and yet, you're still as a as a church culture, um, being liturgical and being mm-hmm. sacramental in some way, shape, or form, uh, because the Lord, the Eucharist is the center. Yeah, center yeah every oh, week, really yeah. Beautiful, yeah. So um, what does it look like, uh, just out of curiosity, like the charismatic part, you know, like <laughs> what do you do, you know, in the vineyard, we call it ministry time, right? You know, yeah. like, you know do, uh, prophecy, pray mm. for people, healing everybody 100% of the time, never, ever have anybody ever not get healed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've heard some churches have that. It's not ours, but how do you, how do you do that? Um, you know, how do you incorporate, I guess, the charismatic stuff alongside a more liturgical, um, you know, I guess, service? Yeah, I, I think you do have to fight for both. And I think there are, you have to be intentional about both. And I would say that there are seasons where you lean into one more than the other. And and, mm. and for us in that maybe first decade after the transition of leadership and all of that, uh, was definitely leaning into some of the sacramental and liturgical or historical practices, however you know we'd want to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was definitely an emphasis for us because so much was framed around encounter, you know, encountering God, and then mission, you know, reaching the lost. Uh, in in you know one of the books, the more recent one I've written with IVP academic called Worship and the World to Come. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I think it's in chapter two. I describe some paradigms for congregational worship that are kind of subconsciously at work in all pastors and church leaders. And I suggest that there's three paradigms. One is mission. We gather together so that we can, you know, reach the lost, reach the skeptic, the cynic, the Mm -hmm. seeker. Uh, the second paradigm is is encounter. That's more of the charis- classically charismatic one. We gather so that we can have an encounter with God. And then the third yeah. one is formation, where you know, you know, we gather so that these practices and these these habits and these songs, these sermons can make us more like Jesus. And and I think as New Life, we were definitely like encounter all the way, and then mission, you know, secondary. But we had no room in our worship services for formation. We weren't thinking that deeply. We were, but we we weren't thinking mm. deeply enough about how these songs are forming us and how these practices are forming. So we had a season where we leaned heavy into formation and, and you know, we, we started introducing even like the church wide, you know, uh, following the church calendar in a, in a real subtle way. Like we would do a good Friday service that ended with mm-hmm. darkness and silence as a way of waiting for the joy of Easter. Uh, we, we began marking Advent and, and fasting during Lent. So all of that was there, but then we kind of realized, Hey, we don't want our church to forget the charismatic. We don't want them to forget mm-hmm. that, man, there's prophecy. There's, healing there's ministry so so we began to do teaching series on the holy spirit and we we began doing a first wednesday of every month Uh, we have a service that's basically all worship and prayer it's like a good old vineyard seek and soak you know Mm -hmm. uh kind of kind of time where there's there's a sort of a plan but man it's 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 free-flowing there's prophetic words there's you know so uh, that became a arena for it, a, 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 a context for it. And then on Sunday mornings, where does the ministry and the charismatic stuff? Well, a lot of it happens during the worship in song kind of moment, the 20, 25 minutes okay. up top, 
you know um mm-hmm. the worship team definitely moves in, in that way calling out stuff maybe they'll be calling out for for healing or, or, or um exhorting the people in a particular way there's a little prayer moment that comes up right after that about three four minutes uh, there's space there we don't end the service with with ministry time but we do have altar ministry uh prayer after the service is officially over. So, you know, communion gotcha. happens, we mm-hmm. come up, we, we say a closing benediction, we bless the people, and then we invite people up to the front. So it's there. It's not technically yeah, yeah. part of the service, but it's there. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Okay, yeah, no, that, that seems really, that's kind of like, you know, the Calvary Chapel's early afterglow. You know, they still had yeah. all of the... All of the stuff that, you know, vineyard churches um, yeah. went on to then have, you know, mm. uh, I guess during their normal service. But I, I, yeah, it's the, the challenge, you know, is trying to figure out, I think when you're when you're um, designing your order of service, it is fascinating to think about it from the perspective of of what you're trying to form and shape yeah. Um, and, yeah. and also where you're trying to go. Right. Yeah. We've we've kind of transitioned the church I'm at. Um, we when I first started pastoring here, they, were, they had not done Eucharist very mm. often, like maybe once a year on Christmas Eve. Um, you know, and I had come from a tradition or I guess the church I'd been at, we, it was, you couldn't be a church without weekly. <laughs> it was like uh, the Midwest uh. and Lutheran and Catholics were our, our neighbors, you know, they would not think you're a real church. Uh, but, but we kind of have just tried to, over the course of the last, uh, year, years, you know, the last four years have gone from, we went to a monthly celebration to now we're doing it weekly uh, for the last two years. And. Yeah, it's really fascinating to uh, we've had it as part of our music, really. Mm. But now we're we're starting to end with it uh, at the end of mm. our service. But it's cut into our ministry time a little bit, trying to be more sure. creative with that. So, yeah, yeah it's fascinating. Um, and I, I went to an Anglican service uh, a couple weeks ago in Minneapolis, and uh, and it was just the most beautiful thing. Mm. Um, and they, but it was you know not a they didn't have a general ministry time. Uh, they had a time of prayer. Uh, and mm. so I was talking to the priest after I was like, yeah, that's the challenge is trying to figure out like how to do all these different things. Yes. In, in a lot of, of time. So, yes, exactly. And that's why I think there's some permission to say, you know, to discern what the spirit is saying to our churches in a particular mm-hmm. season and to say, you know, in this season, we I really like need to emphasize this. Yeah. Uh, even when I named the paradigms of mission, formation and encounter. The, the illusion you know, the impression maybe that some people get is, oh, we got to have this in equal thirds. And I don't think that's yeah. true at all. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think, again, there, there are seasons to lean into one more than the other. And, and you can only build so much into one Sunday service. So you might mm. need different environments for that. You might need a you know, morning prayer for a liturgical yeah. prayer. The, the once, need... a mo- once a month seems like a really brilliant way, especially yeah. in our charismatic churches. You know, it seems like having a, you know, un, unhinged or un, <laughs> unchained. You know, we have all these... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Scripted, like, uh, yeah, 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 like yeah. come for deeper, deeper, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's great, that's good, that's great. Yeah, so you know, when you talk about this sacramental, or you, you know, I think you know, the historical, liturgical, mm, contemplative, mm. all these different traditions, um, you know, being kind of formative and helping sustain your church communities and helping you kind of. Um, I guess heal and recover, yeah. but also maybe um, position yourselves for long term. Um, you know, church after the Ted Haggard scandal mm-hmm. and you know all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, help me with this, like you know, for the folks that are listening to this, I, I think there's a fair amount of them who are kind of exploring the sacramental world, mm-hmm. you know. And so I've recommended Hans Boersma's work a lot sure. because I think the whole idea of a um, 
tapestry is helpful for me mm. because I like creative words. But, mm. um, you know, how would you describe a sacramental charismatic worldview? Like what, what, what does that mean? Yeah. For you? And, and maybe even the word worldview, I've been really rethinking, uh, maybe yeah. reality because reality yeah. is a really good word. Like I think when I read, uh, 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 gosh, was it Shmimon's, uh, mm. Alexander Shmimon's, you know, for the life of the world, the just world, the way yeah. he unpacked the the concept of reality was like a completely game changer for me. You know, mm. I was like, Oh mm-hmm. my God, like whole nother world out there. So unpack that for us. Like, what does well, it mean sh- to be a sacramental charismatic? Shmimon is a great kind of doorway into it. That little book for the life of the world, even though it's a, it's a dense book. Because he has you rethink creation. He has you rethink yeah. uh, this kind of uh, Western division between the physical and the spiritual. And mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, I don't think that the Hebrews saw it that way. So I, w- what I tried to do in Bless Broken Given, which is the book that came out in, in 2019, what I tried which, to do in that which- book... The list, all my listeners, uh, check out the description. I got a link to it. It's a fantastic book. Yeah, like, like what, tell us what you're doing there. Yeah, because it's like the book. <laughs> well, I don't. I, it's my attempt to sort of explain a sacramental charismatic uh, perspective or way of seeing the world um, for for every person to understand it. And, and it's as simple as saying, um, the Lord is at work in this world, even when we don't realize it, even when mm. we're not aware of it. Um, the 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 world was created. Creation itself was meant to be a container for the glory of God, and mm. that that switches the way we start to see the physical. Because sometimes, again, we we think of this upstairs downstairs world where God is upstairs in the spiritual in the heavens, and we are downstairs in the physical and you know in the natural. Mm-hmm. And even our word like supernatural, I don't I don't like the word supernatural because it means mm-hmm. above the natural, beyond the natural. I, I think what you see in the Old Testament, you got Genesis where Jacob, you know, has this stairway to heaven dream, and he wakes up and he says, "I saw angels ascending and descending," and he says, "Surely the Lord was in this place," and I. I was not aware of it, you know, mm-hmm. um, or the angels in Isaiah six singing the whole earth is full of his glory. I think yeah. there's a, there's a sense in which we have to remember that the creator God built creation to be a temple that he would fill with his presence. And, mm-hmm. and there's a whole, I mean, on the theology side of this, there's temple theology mm-hmm. that uh, scholars like Greg Beale and, and John Walton yeah. on the old Testament side have done a lot of work to kind of mm-hmm. show that, that actually the Genesis story is like a temple story. Yeah. It's a story of a dedication of a temple. And even that phrase, and God rested on the seventh day mm-hmm. is not like he reclined and took a nap, but like yeah. rested, ceased from his labors. Yes. But also like the glory of God that rested on mm-hmm. the temple when it was dedicated. So to, 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 in many ways, this was the this was the the aha moment for me, Luke. Is that okay? The sacramental folks see it that way, and that's why they can talk about bread and wine mm-hmm. and to say these ordinary things. Matter matters. Of, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, matter matters, and and it speaks of something uh, even beyond itself, and it speaks of something sacred and holy. Uh, and and I was thinking, what charismatics do this too? Like when yeah. we anoint people with oil, when we, you mm-hmm. know, when we uh, lay hands on the sick, like what's that about? That's a way of saying that human beings or oil or whatever becomes mm-hmm. these vessels, containers of the very glory and presence of God. So yeah. I began to realize that actually the, the charismatic perspective and the sacramental perspective Mm-hmm. are very much the same. They both believe that God by his spirit is active and present and at work in the world. And and the 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 key is us being able to have eyes and ears to see and hear and discern it. 
Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I, that's kind of what I found too. Is that our, you know, the charismatic, um, you know, pneumatology is just like such an easy on ramp to seeing mediation happening in all these different. Like we, you know, we we see it in our music, right? It's a way to encounter yeah. God, yeah. to experience yeah. God's presence, uh, laying hands on people for healing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we we seem to think that's a pretty important thing. Uh-huh. So it, it only makes sense that the uh, the Eucharist or baptism, yes. you know, or any of these other. Yes practices and habits and uh rhythms would would actually mean something that's that's really good i love that that too jacob's ladder that's a good reference um mm. you know i just read that text yeah it's like we mm. when i read uh for the life of the world that was the for me the most helpful part was the idea of reality um, yeah because he has a kind of a cheeky way of getting to the transubstantiation question yes it's kind of like yeah you westerners are kind of wasting your time <laughs> uh, so yeah you know um you you bring up this idea, though, of of um, maybe this would be helpful for us as charismatics. Um, you know, liminality, liminal spaces mm, is something mm. that I'm fascinated by. In you know, in our in the tradition I'm in, in the Vineyard, um, we have this huge emphasis on inaugurated eschatology. The mm. kingdom is now and not yet, yeah. and that word "and" in mm. the now and not yet is a fascinating word because I think we have maybe not spend a lot of time exploring where or how God is at work in the and as well as mm. the not yet. You know, mm. it seems like we're we're really good at recognizing the kingdom breaking in in the now, you know, whenever the grace lets happen or the spiritual mm. gifts are flowing or whatever you want to mm. call it. But but that was a big part of my, um, I guess, ex, you know, um, I guess, discovery of the sacramental tapestry is to start thinking about how God was at work even in the midst of really terrible situations you know and i think even for a healing um you know like asking where is god at work in the midst Mm. of the not no or the Mm. the not Mm. yet you know how might god might be at work Mm. um which i i think your your book um discovering the mystery of faith uh, as well as the new one worship in the world to come i think there's a lot of uh, really fascinating things you're bringing up though about worship and formation and spaces Mm. to maybe Mm. um, explore uh, where you can be worshiping um, but outside of like our charismatic Sunday morning, yeah. just singing songs. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's really true, Luke. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking about your phrase there about liminality and about the and, you know, the now and the not yet and those moments of, of heartache and, and struggling to say, God, how, how are you in the midst of this? And here again, the imagery of the Eucharist, the imagery of the Lord's table is so helpful to us because what is wine except grapes that have been smashed and crushed and right. fermented? And, and what is bread mm-hmm. except wheat that has been, you know, ground fine into flour? And so when Jesus takes this, those very elements of, of bread and wine, he uses it to speak of death. You know, this mm-hmm. is my blood, which is given for you. This is my body, which is given for you. Uh, and, and so even in the Eucharistic life or to see our life sacramentally is that it doesn't mean that we're seeing our life as glorious. I mean, I think maybe that's what Mm. is helpful to to qualify here. As I said, you know, our lives can be a container of the glory of God. Maybe, maybe someone listening is like, sweet. That means we're going to have victory and sign me up. Yeah, exactly. But, but no, 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 no. The, the, The glory and grace of God doesn't mean that our lives become, you know, easy and all roses and all that stuff, because, 
again, those words, blessed, broken, and given. We, we, we often flip it. We think broken was, oh, I was broken, and now I'm blessed, and therefore I can be given for the world. You know, so, you know, Jesus mm -hmm. found me. I was a sinner. I was broken. Now I'm blessed, and now I have purpose, you know. But the sacramental ordering is not like that. It's mm -hmm. you are blessed in Christ. He took you. He blessed you, and he broke you. So mm. that means that even in the no's that he says, even in the unanswered prayers, even in the things that we can't understand. And I want to be cautious about saying God, you know, not confusing God caused versus God allowed. All of the stuff that we have to wrestle with, with sovereignty and mystery of suffering. And yeah. yet in the midst of that, we can say, God, use this to break me. Use this mm -hmm. to, to break me. And out of that brokenness comes our mission in the world. Out of that brokenness comes our, our givenness in the world. So, so there's an important connection there. And, and, and you mentioned worship. I mean, worship is kind of the link through all of it, that, that our yeah. form, we're being formed through each stage or each phase mm -hmm. of those, those movements. And we are worshiping with God uh, and through all of those movements as well. Yeah. But I think that's the, like, the most remarkable thing about worship, you know, is that I think, you know, from my childhood and background, worship was simply seen as, I guess, surrender or, mm -hmm. you know, giving to God his due. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I even even consider the, uh, the idea of worship being a formative space where we are being shaped and formed until yeah. Yeah. quite you know, maybe even when I was pastoring, it was like, oh, mm. like, oh, there's more to this whole thing, <laughs> you know, um, because I wonder, I've wondered about why that is, you know, and I, I think obviously, you know, in maybe the charismatic world, that was, that was kind of like the main thing, right? Bring your best and sure. lift up a voice and clap your hands. And, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on worship as lifestyle and, but it was almost always from the perspective of what we give to God. Mm, and it wasn't mm. really... Until uh, I think, you know, maybe charismatics also have have had a lot more influence now, because I think like James K. Smith has obviously brought a yep. whole, you yep. know, you know, I guess the Pentecostal tradition now has a lot of voices who are talking about this mm. idea of formation mm. happening. Mm. Um, you know, for yourself, like when you think about um, about formation and and how these practices and aspects of worship, you know, shape your congregation. What do you feel like are maybe some of the most important um, uh, goals of formation? Like what, you know, obviously becoming like Jesus, you know, but sure. like when you're designing your gathering and your team is thinking through like the ingredients and the, because mm -hmm. I, like I saw you guys, um, you, you regularly recite the Apostles Creed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like that's yeah. a. That's yeah. a thing that, you know, most charismatic churches don't even know that there's an Apostles Creed. <laughs> yeah, might be mean. No, no. I mean, well, I don't know, but but it, it's fun because actually, uh, ten years ago or so, New Life decided as a whole church to move away from an individual statement of faith and to adopt the Nicene Creed as its statement of faith. So it's pretty cool. It's plastered on the walls. I know. We're just gonna take a moment. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Slow clap well that one. Yeah, yeah. Like, and and we've we've painted it on the walls at the the North Campus, which is kind of the mothership megachurch uh, mm -hmm. looking um, by size uh, campus, and so it's it's a value across the board. And I I, I think you know, okay, if you just said what name some of those those ways or the, the the thing that we're interested in shaping people in, one of the things is definitely a historic confession of faith, and mm. something like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Um, being regularly recited in worship is so important because 
Man, Luke, there the, the downside of the evangelical emphasis on personal faith, and I, I believe, let me go on record, I believe in yeah. the necessity yeah. of personal repentance and faith, well, 100%. But the unintended consequence, the unintended downside of it is we have almost made an individual individual feel that the whole weight of faith rests on them. And if they mm-hmm. can't at any moment validate an item of a statement of faith, they're like, oh, no, maybe I'm not a believer anymore. Yeah, and yeah. The, the, the strength of saying the creed or the Nicene Creed is you're saying we believe in. Mm-hmm. We did a whole series on this at the church where we said the power of we believe is the moments where you feel weak, the moments where you feel like your faith is wavering, there's some doubt kind of mm-hmm. creeping in be carried be buoyed by be lifted up by the faith of the church the church global the church historic it's a collective reminder it's a collective reminder and so many young people especially who who wrestle with this angst the angst of doubt um they they think oh well because again the whole weight of everything is put on the individual and they think well i can't sustain that and so they think maybe i shouldn't come and they stop coming to church because of it and Mm. and it's such a huge mistake and i all we always tell our young people look if you're wrestling with doubt just keep showing up. Keep showing up with the church. Let our faith lift up your faith. Let our belief. So saying the creed is a, is a very powerful practice that reminds us that faith is global and historic. Another practice that I think is, is very countercultural, particularly in charismatic settings, is the practice of confession, the practice mm. of saying a prayer of confession. Now, at New Life Downtown, I think a couple of our other congregations, there is a formal prayer of confession prayed every mm-hmm. week. Uh, some of the other congregations, it's not the, that formal liturgy, but there's some version of it. Yeah. And I think it's such a powerful practice because, again, the evangelical thing is, hey, if you're not saved, then you pray the sinner's mm-hmm. prayer. But everybody else, you know, you're, you're, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you're good. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Unless you want to do it for moral support, you know. Yeah, yeah. But but, but when we all pray a prayer of confession, it's a reminder of what Luther called, you know, simul justus et peccator, at once justified mm-hmm. and yet a sinner, that, that we, yeah. we know the reality, we are implicated in sins. We're implicated in, in, you know, the big conversations last year about systemic injustices and all that. We're implicated in those sins. And some of those things that we're implicated in, we can't immediately change. And so we regularly confess to say, God, I'm sorry, I'm caught up in a consumerist, capitalist, sort of whatever, you know, a greed-based system that 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 really is not working out for others. And I just want I want to I want to make sure I'm confessing all of this to you. So there's a communal aspect to it. There's a humble, a humility um, that comes mm-hmm. with it. Weekly confession uh, is also just a, a, another reminder of like we don't have to impress God when we come to worship. Like we, yeah. we don't, you know, as a worship leader, we will always say to people, hey, man, you don't stand up and sing here today because you've had such a great week. You know, we, we do this because yeah. of who Christ is. Well, OK, confession is another way of reinforcing that, because if I truly believe he's a merciful God and that mm-hmm. we're already forgiven, then I can freely say, God, I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my yeah. neighbor as myself. Yeah. yeah, the confession seems like, uh, you know, I, I, somewhat of a missing component to worship you know once you've experienced it because it's so uh deeply freeing i think you know that's a good Mm -hmm. word i I had this uh friend of mine who became a follower of jesus and Mm -hmm. like you know probably 50 years old when it happened had not had any church background totally Mm -hmm. you know bad guy really bad guy (laughs) bad 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 uh you know all the things that you shouldn't do he did and uh when he became a follower of jesus he um, was reading in James, confess your sins one to another. And he's like, I got to do this. He'd been a Christian wow. for maybe like two weeks, went to a prayer Bible study type thing. Mm-hmm. And then 
let it all out. And uh, he, you know, now he's like, I probably should have made sure that there wasn't mixed company. But, <laughs> but when he got done with his, you know, just full on, uh, you know, um, you know, confession, he felt so freed. He, he talks about it all the time about how he just felt like, man, I felt so clean and felt like God had freed me from those things. And so I think that there's definitely an aspect of confession that seems to be really powerful. So that's, that's helping shape your congregation in a way that's maybe freeing them from yeah. uh, some of that stuff that we talked about that we're in crisis with. Uh, yeah. Even. Yeah. True. True. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So would you, um, I guess when you are thinking about uh, for those maybe who are listening, who are pastors who are trying to maybe uh, think a little bit outside the box of your traditional, um, you know, charismatic thing, or maybe there's some folks out there that I, I know that we've got a few listeners that are coming from a liturgical background, yeah. uh, maybe a little bit from high church, but are kind of like, hey, this charismatic thing maybe ain't so bad, you know? <laughs> what would be so? In addition to your books, which I want to encourage everybody to sure. listen. Uh, sure. to, Buy them, read them, get them, yeah. consume them, memorize them. Use them <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, everyone. <laughs> what, what are other works that you would recommend for folks to check out that might be good, helpful from both of those backgrounds, like the, the more liturgical groups and maybe yeah. the charismatic? Man, great question. For people wanting to explore some of the historical practices, I mean, I think in, in some ways the godfather here is Robert Weber, uh, mm -hmm. his, his book, uh, Ancient Future Worship. Yeah couple decades ago is probably a a forerunner we've mentioned schmayman's for the last of the world we've, you've mentioned james k smith uh you are what you love is probably the way to start with smith on the mm -hmm. charismatic on, on the yeah on the the liturgical side people curious about the charismatic you know it's funny we i often come across this when i'm talking with with academics about how do you study charismatics because they're not generally as literary of a of a tradition they're not writing lots of books you kind of have to go and experience. You kind of, mm -hmm. you know, so honestly, you, you could spend a, a few hours on YouTube watching vineyard worship services or or Hillsong or, or, or Bethel or whatever and and let the experience kind of sweep over you. I, I think there's something powerful about recognizing and, and, and embracing the fact that experience has always been part of the Christian faith. Uh, yeah. You know, I was, I was, we were having a conversation today with a friend who's a theologian at Cambridge and, and he's written a great book called the Holy spirit and Christian experience, very, very dense kind of academic thing. But, but he, he's trying to lay the groundwork academically to say that experience is not, uh, it, you know, sort of this, ah, who cares about it? And we, as long as we have our doctrines, right. That, that actually, you know, even going back to St. Augustine, his conversion story is deeply experiential. And yeah. his description of God transforming his affections and desires is, is the work of the Spirit is experienced in a very emotional kind of way. And so I want to say to people who, who only have a cognitive dimension to their relationship with God, that's beautiful. And good words are beautiful. And, and it's wonderful. Good words, good thoughts, good doctrine, good theology. Um, but would you open yourself up to be moved by God, to to mm -hmm. allow the Holy Spirit to actually move you, and to recognize that any relationship with a person uh, is dynamic. It has a dynamic range to it where uh, I can push a chair, but the chair can't push me. But if mm -hmm. I'm working with a living being, I can push a person, the person push me back. My feelings affect them. Their feelings affect me. 
And to really understand that that's what we see about revealed about God in the Bible. We see a God who weeps. We see a God who gets angry. We see a God who uh, is hurt. And, 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 and we see people who are affected by God as well. There's a back and forthness to this relationship. And so even a theology of the Holy Spirit, you know, maybe some charismatics have not done a good job of this because we've only talked about the Holy Spirit in a very narrow way. Like if you don't hoop and holler or speak in tongues, yeah. then you, you, you know, you haven't got the Holy Ghost or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to say, you, you know, let's broaden the range of that, that you can experience mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit in all kinds of ways. And mm -hmm. because this is a real relationship with the real person, the third person of the Trinity, it's a dynamic that relationship. You know, Luke, it's the difference between saying you you had a friend 20 years ago and you've had a friendship for 20 years. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between those two things. And, right. and even people say, oh, well, I received the Holy Spirit at conversion. True. Sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I have no disagreement with that theology. Yeah, yeah. I'm not uh, of the view that you need something else, you know, to receive mm -hmm. again. At the same time, if this is a living dynamic person, yeah. then we don't just want to say, oh, I got that, check the box. But I want to say, how am I opening myself up to the Spirit today? Mm, that's good, yeah. I think, yeah, it's fascinating when you think about the relational dynamic of our faith, right? You know, mm. there seems to be a, or even Paul's language of be being filled, you know, and if mm -hmm. he's, mm -hmm. you know, there's this ongoing, yes. um, ongoing encounters uh, that seem to happen. And, and that's a fascinating um, recommendation too, not just for sacramental folks exploring the charismatic, but I think there's a lot of charismatics who I, uh, I would say like maybe are theoretical charismatics, you know, like they know hmm. that they can't make a cessationist argument because it just doesn't yeah. work. John MacArthur, it's not a yeah. good argument, yeah. you know? Uh, but, um, you know, when you think about uh, sociologists and anthropologists, they always talk about needing to enter into whoever's yes. studying. Like you actually can't really um, explore something if you don't try to participate in it too. And I think that's a really good recommendation as well. So yeah. uh, having Bible studies and meeting with charismatic folks and asking yeah. them to pray for you and, and even maybe yes. pray for people would be a great way to do that. Yes, yes. I did think of a book. Um, Gordon Fee wrote a thin little book called Paul, mm. the Spirit, and the People yeah, of yeah. God. Great book. Uh, it's a great book. And that'd be a great way to kind of come into some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to, because I do this anytime this comes up, is I need to recommend Flame of Love by Clark Peck. <sighs> if you have yeah. not read that book, you might not be a Christian. You might not even be a Christian. <laughs> uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> Maybe that looks strange, but great book. Uh, yeah. Well, Glenn, uh, I just really appreciate your work. Um, you know, in the future, um, what are some things you're working on that people could, you know, be looking? I know you uh, you have your website, uh, yeah. glenn where people mm -hmm. can follow some of your writings. Yeah. Uh, I've checked you out. Uh, your website for your uh, for your church. You have yeah. you know, your your services are on there, and it's, they're yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, what would be some things that you're doing in the future? What can we look out for? Do you have a YouTube channel? Do, I do. <laughs> I do have a little. I do have a little YouTube channel that has some sermon clips and whatnot on there. Uh, you know, if, if that amuses you, that's great. I don't. I don't keep it. Uh, you know, terribly up to date, but there's some stuff on there. Um, I am working on a, a new book project for pastors and church leaders um, that will release about a year from now, early 2022. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in partnership with Barna. So there's some new research we worked on together. There's some focus groups that I led. And I, my, my hope is to just kind of reflect on the challenges that are ahead for church leaders, mm -hmm. uh, challenges on our own vocation, credibility, our own spiritual yeah. lives, 
uh, challenges about worship, how we think about worship, how we think about the mission of the church, all of that stuff. There's eight different challenges that are outlined in the book. And so we're we're in the tail end of that process of finishing that up. And and uh, but look for that early uh, 2022. And then my wife and I are writing a book on spiritual practices for um, just kind of ordinary life Um from from friendships relationships to you know and, and we we practice kind of a twice a year retreat that the book will help guide people through but also cool. again it's just a way to intentionally if, if the sacramental charismatic a way of of reality or view of reality is that god is at work and we need to have attentive mm-hmm. eyes and ears then then this book that my wife and i are working on is is about helping us be in, intentional in have our attention started, have you both started writing it already yeah, we're about halfway through writing it. That comes out the summer of 2022. With and Nat you're still Press. currently married. This is you're, <laughs> you're still just want to verify that that's yeah, accurate. yeah. It's going yeah. well. It's going all right. Well. Cool, cool. No, that's great. <laughs> My wife and I co-pastor, and we always joke around about how everybody we know that co-pastors. It's like there's no consistent anything, you know, and and uh, oh, and everybody's hard, yeah. always trying to figure that. Out. Yeah, it's super super funny, but yeah, well, we'll be looking out for those things uh, absolutely. And uh, I just really appreciate your time, um, you know, uh, taking the time to kind of share some of these things. And again, I want to recommend that everybody check out your work. And uh, thank you so much for what you're doing for the church, though. I mean, I know you serve your local congregation, and I'm sure your congregation is very thankful for that. But for those of us outside of uh, Colorado Springs, the mecca of evangelicalism, <laughs> as they say, uh, it, it's been really beneficial for us. So we appreciate that. I'm very grateful, Luke. Thank you for your work, and thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Hey, for those of you who just tuned in, thanks so much for listening. I'd like to encourage you to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts and uh, look forward to the next opportunity to share one of these with you. Uh, God bless all of you and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.